Good evening, saints. It is good to be back here uh, to impart unto your hearing another portion of God's holy and divine writ. As we continue along with our theme of reception, we understand the nodes in which we have hit thus far, making reference to how we ought to have received Christ coming out of John, the first chapter and verse number 12. We see the Bible in John, the first chapter, verse number 12 speaks about how God gave those power, those who would have received Christ, gave them power to be the sons of God, particularly those who would believe on his name. We tied in that first week how we not only need to receive Christ, but receive his words. Understanding this words aren't words that he surmised of his own accord, but these were words that were given to him and committed to him directly from God the Father. It is so important that as we receive Christ and receive his words, we understand that as Christians, we put ourselves in a position to receive the instruction that we would need to receive. That's what we spoke about this morning, but for a little bit of time this evening, we're going to piggyback on that idea of receiving instruction and tie it in to receiving correction. Receiving correction. Going back to what Paul would say to Timothy, we remember those wise words he would give to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, once again. We'll revisit that passage because... Embedded in that passage, we have a little tidbit pertaining to not only instruction, but correction as well. Looking at 2 Timothy, the third chapter, the Bible would say at verse 16, as Paul is reminding Timothy that he's familiar with these scriptures. He's known these scriptures since he was a youth. He's been familiar with studying them. I remember what Paul would say just a chapter ago in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verse number 15. He would say, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needing not be ashamed, rightfully dividing or handling forth aright that word of truth. Timothy would have been familiar with the scriptures. He would have had scriptures at his disposal as his mother and his grandmother were Jews. His mother and his grandmother exposing him to the scriptures. And he, since he was a youth, being able to study those. Paul would encourage him, study those, handle them forth correctly so you can be approved of God. So Timothy was familiar with the scriptures. But we see here, Paul says that in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and also for correction. We'll spend a little bit of time discussing this correction When we think about being corrected, I don't know about you, but many times I lose some of my patience when one is to correct me. And admittingly, sometimes I fail to have an open ear when being corrected. However, correction is not a bad thing, specifically when it's coming from God our Father. It is very, very important that we not take ourselves out of the position of instruction nor correction. Let's go all the way back to what the Proverbs writer would say. We'll pick a couple of verses from the Proverbs writer. 
will make some application throughout the scriptures and the lesson will be yours. I remember that the Proverbs writer all the way back in Proverbs chapter 3, certainly we dealt with the correction or excuse me, the instruction this morning. But remember what the Proverbs writer would say in verse number 11 of chapter 3, where he would say, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. He says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Very, very important words as Paul, excuse me, Solomon is writing to his son. I believe it would be Rehoboam. And Solomon is explaining that you ought to be mindful of the correction that is coming from Almighty God, because that correction You ought not to only be wary of, or you need not to be wary of, but you need to understand that a love is being shown through that correcting. Perhaps you think back when you were a child, your father or mother trying to correct your steps, correct your ways, perhaps correct your diction in the way that you spoke. They were doing it for your own good. Simple and plain, you could almost argue that The love is not being shown if the correction is not there. Nevertheless, you see Solomon writing to his son saying, don't despise this chastening. Don't be weary of the correction for whom the Lord loves. He corrects even as a father, the son in whom he delights. There's delight in correcting our children. There should be delight in us as children being corrected by our father. Why? Because it shows the love and the care that God has for us. I remember the Lord dealing with his people. I remember the Lord dealing with his people specifically through that man, Moses. Don't you remember in Moses and Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy is written in the last second to last month of Moses's life. Moses on the mountaintop can literally see over into the promised land. But we know Moses was not going to be able to go into that promised land. It was going to be Joshua that would lead them over into those nations. But I remember Moses giving the word of the Lord over to the people. And I remember Moses explaining and recounting their memory back into when the first law was given. I remember Moses explaining that God had brought them out of Egypt. I remember Moses explaining all of the fine-tuned points that Israelites had been through all of these said 40 years. Back when the Israelites thought it smart to heap up those calves and worship those calves when Moses was out up in Mount Sinai. But remember in Moses, what Moses said in Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, going back to Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, Moses would be reminding the children of Israel what they ought to be doing or what they ought not to be doing, going all the way back to Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter. Moses making reference to how they were going to go into the promised land. We see specifically in verse 29, he would explain to them, when the Lord thy God, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 29, When the Lord thy God shall cut thee off from the nations before thee, where you go to possess them, 
and you succeed them and dwell in their land, take heed to thyself that you not be snared by following them. After that, they be destroyed from before thee, that you inquire not after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hateth, have they done to their gods. For even their sons and their daughters have they burnt in the fire to their gods. What things soever I command you, observe to do it, and thou shalt not add thereto or diminish from it. Moses is saying, going back to our discussion about instruction this morning, Moses is instructing these people that they ought not to be partaking in any of this idolatry. There's going to be many nations that are circumventing the children of Israel. And they need to be very wary that they do not go after their gods. As a matter of fact, the Bible would say here in verse number 30, don't even inquire after their gods. Asking how do the nations serve? Don't even ask how they do it. I suppose today, church... We're dealing with some of these issues. When you think about all of the denominationalism that's seeping into the church, when you think about some of the churches of Christ falling by the wayside and how that they would worship, how they would offer up their spiritual sacrifices, perhaps you think that maybe some of the churches that belong to Christ were even inquiring, looking side to side, looking and, and, and seeking about what other people in, are doing instead of just relying on what thus saith the Lord. Moses is explaining to them, you should not diminish anything that I give unto you, neither add to it. Let what thus saith the Lord be resolved in your minds. Nevertheless, he's warning those children. When you go out into these nations, God's going to drive out the nations before you. Don't inquire about what they're doing. Nevertheless, we see the biblical narrative. We see what would transpire. Don't you remember what the Bible would say over in Zephaniah? Perhaps many of you, it's been some time since you've been in Zephaniah. It's only three chapters, but let's go to Zephaniah. It's near the end of the Old Testament, right after the book of Habakkuk, which is right after the book of Nahum. Zephaniah is the book immediately before Haggai. But here we see Much like Jeremiah dealing with Judah and Jerusalem, you see Zephaniah dealing with the same. Specifically in the third chapter, you might remember. As the prophet there is saying, woe unto her, making reference to Jerusalem, this city, which has ultimately become a desolation because The going after of other gods. But in Zephaniah, the third chapter, in verse number one, it says, Woe unto her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice and she received not correction. Look at the issue with Judah and Jerusalem. She trusted not in the Lord and she drew not near to her God. Her princes within are roaring lions Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw at the bones till the marrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons, and her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. 
The just Lord is in the midst thereof, and he will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. The Bible would say, I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste that none passes by, and their cities are destroyed so that there is no man and that there is no inhabitant. But look at verse number seven. It said, I said, surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive correction or excuse me, instruction. So their dwelling should not be cut off. However, or howsoever I punished them, but they rose early and they corrupted all of their doings. Herein lies the issue. Herein lies the issue that Zephaniah is pointing out with Judah in Jerusalem. The Lord speaking to his people back in verse number two, showing that they did not receive correction. The Lord in verse number seven was saying, surely they will fear me and they will receive this instruction. But because of this, because of their lack of understanding of God's word, because of their lack of hearkening, because of their lack of obedience to doing all of those things that Moses had laid out for them in the law, they ultimately left themselves in a very wicked place. We'll draw this lesson home, even thinking about Jeremiah, the second chapter. In Jeremiah, the second chapter, you might remember that Jeremiah even spoke of this correction that needed to happen. But I remember in Jeremiah, the second chapter, looking at verse number 19. In Jeremiah, the second chapter at verse number 19, we see ultimately what was going to be able to correct individuals. It says in verse number 19, it says, thine own wickedness shall correct thee. Thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken thy God and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord of hosts. We see later down in verse number 29 and 30 where the Bible would say in vain, I have smitten your children and they received no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like the destroying of the lion over and over. God's pleading with his people. Hearken unto his instruction. Hearken unto his law. Follow the ways that he has set forth for them. But they would not. We cited earlier in Acts, the seventh chapter, where Stephen was talking to those individuals saying, you stiff nut, you stiff necked and uncircumcised of the ears and the heart. You're just like your fathers. Nevertheless, we as Christians need not to be in the same position. We as Christians need to be familiar with instruction. But furthermore, we need to delight in correction, understanding that love is shown towards us. When we are corrected. Proverbs the third chapter verses 11 and 12. As many as the Lord loves. He would rebuke and chasten. That was also cited in Revelation the third chapter. At verse number 19. But nevertheless. When we understand this correction point. Perhaps you think about the father and son dynamic. Later in Proverbs the 22nd chapter. I know we're doing some jumping around. But perhaps you remember this very point. In Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, a lot of people get squeamish with this verse, but it is necessary and it is in the Bible. And the Bible was right last I checked. In Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, at verse number 15, the Bible would say foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Just one chapter over in Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, 
This time, we're looking at Proverbs, the 23rd chapter. And at verse number 13, it says, Withhold not correction from the child. For if you beat him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and you shall deliver his soul from hell. You know, it's so interesting to see in society, people get so, they're on such eggshells when it talks about when the conversation of disciplining your children comes about. Not to say that the only discipline of children is with the rod, but people get on eggshells because they don't want their neighbors looking at them uh, side-eyed and they don't want their neighbors calling child protective services on them because we've gotten in such a day and in such a society where you can't even correct your children any longer and you can't do it according to what the Bible has provided. It's no wonder that Paul would write in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and specifically at verse number one, that children ought to obey their parents. I believe it's a lot easier to obey your parents if your parents are correcting you, if your parents are instructing you the way the Bible had intended. But behold, we see God's love for us and how he has corrected us, how he has shown us the way in which we ought to go. We see it with Judah and Jerusalem. We see uh, in the in the law where Moses is saying, if you follow the right and you choose that which is right, you will receive a blessing. But if you go to the left and you choose that which is wrong, a curse that would happen with the children of Israel. Nevertheless, God was so good to his children that he still provided a way not only for them to be corrected, but to be instructed, be instructed by his son. Be instructed by his manservant who he would send into this world to hearken unto. That they can obey his voice. That they can incline their ear. They can open up their hearts. And they can be able to receive him. And furthermore, believe on his name. We'll finish this up in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I remember in the book of Hebrews, as we're discussing that better covenant based on better promises. As we're discussing... How much better we have it in Christ Jesus. We remember in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we see this scripture again. In verse number five, it says, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you. Hebrews 12 and verse five, as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Don't fate when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and he scourgeth every son whom he received. When you read this scripture, it cuts coming and going. That's what the Bible would say in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse number 12. The word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It gets to the joints and the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. When we read into the word, when we properly look at our lives, we realize this is a sharp word of God. But nevertheless, as many of the Lord loves, he rebukes and he chastens. In verse number six, it says, For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receives. Look at that. The Lord has received us. Just as we had the opportunity to receive his son, he has the opportunity or he's made a promise to be able to receive us. And as many as he received, he rebukes and he chastens. He says, If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he who the father chasteneth not? We ought to chasten our sons. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. 
It's like you had no father at all if there is no chastisement. And verse number nine, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. How shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. We can be partakers of his holiness. It's so beautiful to end there. I know it continues in verse number 11, discussing that no present time, no chastening for the present time seems joyous, but it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yielded peaceable fruit unto righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. But nevertheless, look at verse number 10. We can be partakers of the holiness of God simply because he loves us. Simply because he's left us not in this world without chastisement, but he loves us and he rebukes and he corrects us and he chastens us. Going right back to that wonderful scripture. How does he do it? He does it through scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's for doctrine. It's for reproof. It's for correction. That the man of God may be complete or perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We need to continue to look in the scripture. We need to continue to delight to do the will of God. And we need not to faint for a moment in time when we're instructed and when we're corrected. He's correcting us because he loves us. That's the message. We see that according to the scriptures in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 4, Christ had to die. According to the scriptures, he had to be buried. And according to the scriptures, he had to rise again on the third day. It wasn't just any old run-of-the-mill death. Not to say that death is any light thing, but it was an agonizing death on Calvary's cross. At that cross is where he shed his blood. At that cross is where he finished the work of the Lord. And at that cross is where he was determined to be the Son of God. At that cross, the rocks were rent in two. There was a great earthquake. The graves would open. The veil of the temple would rent in two. As he expired, they asked of his body. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he arose. Just as he arose, according to the scriptures, we too, if we're found in him, can rise as well. We will be risen up in the resurrection on that last day. That is the promise that God has given us so long as we received him and believed on his name. This whole month, we're going to be talking about reception, the gospel. Are we we receptive to the gospel message? Even in these years of being a Christian, does it still have an effect on us? The blood of Christ, what he did for us, that we should have been the ones on that cross. The fact that God sent his own perfect, sinless son to die for us. Are we receiving him? Have we received him? Do we believe on his name? Does that guide our lives? Can we still be instructed by his scriptures? We have to hear that gospel. We have to believe it with all of our heart. We have to repent of those things that are of the past. Those things that we should have crucified. We have to live lives in a worthy manner, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, being baptized in the watery grave of baptism, fully immersed in water for the remission of sins. We're risen up to walk in the newness of life and henceforth is laid up a crown of life for us. That's what Paul would write to Timothy in the very next chapter. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, in 2 Timothy the third chapter. No, there are four chapters. Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses seven and eight. It is very, very important that we understand that. We lay hold on to that. 
And we wait for that glorious saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let us consider those words as we together stand and sing a song of the Savior's invitation.